This podcast was originally the audio for a work of the same name for the Nearly On Red YouTube channel, found at youtube.com slash c slash nearly on red. Though not intended to be a standalone podcast, viewers frequently consume my videos for their audio content only, so I have duplicated my work in this format to hopefully save people a step. A full list of content and platforms can be found at nearlyonred.com or the short link nearly.red, N-E-A-R-L-Y dot R-E-D. Enjoy! Welcome to the Not Quite Daily Show, Summer 2018, Episode 7. This video is about the Rayview Starlight anime and will contain spoilers from the first five episodes. Today I want to look at three characters who all got some development in our fifth episode. The three of them have something in common. They are all initially outsiders to the underground auditions. They have two other things in common too, which I suspect is why they were not part of the contests from the beginning. One is that all three of them care more about promoting or supporting someone else than they do about advancing themselves. The other is that all three are happy with the status quo that begins our series. Interestingly enough, this does not make them allies. So the underground auditions are all part of a process to determine the next top star, the one who will have the star they have longed for bestowed upon them. Just as in the Takarazuko review from which our anime draws inspiration, there can be only one. Though they engage in physical combat and contests of staging and song, at their heart these are dramatizations of the rivalries and competition between them in their actual schooling. Thus, while they are each competing to top the giraffe's leaderboard, they are also competing for the various roles of the eight goddesses in their next production of Starlight. In each contest, there is the underlying assumption that each girl wants to go as far as they can, to claim as prominent a position as they are able. They are classmates and roommates and friends, but when it comes to the casting call, it's every woman for herself. There is a price to be paid for this pursuit of the top. Our giraffe friend spells it out plainly the first time Karan sees the review. Borrowing our official high dive translation, he says, everyday happiness, the pleasures of a young girl, all burned away in pursuit of that faraway brilliance. He goes on to point out that Karan is content not playing the lead, has trouble getting out of bed, and so will not be called upon. She doesn't want it badly enough to make these kinds of sacrifices, nor does she think of herself in terms of every woman for herself. Theoretically, she should have no place in the auditions, and in the beginning, she does not. She's an outsider. There are two others who were not called upon initially either, at least so far as we have seen. One is Mahiru, and the other is Banana. Both are on the giraffe's leaderboard, but I think we can infer that the leaderboard is not a record of wins and losses, but rather some combination of intangibles. Speculating on that is beyond the scope of this video. My point is that these three, Karen, Mahiru, and Banana, were not part of the auditions until something galvanized them to join, and I think Banana has actually not yet gotten to that point. As I said in the intro, these three are not in it for themselves, and, at least initially, all three are content with the status quo. They do not want to be top stars more than they want anything else, certainly not enough to upset their current lives. Now, as we talked about last time, Hikari's return changes things for Karen. 
She never wanted to stand on the stage alone, but to stand alongside Hikari. Having that desire is enough to get her into auditions. Hikari actually assenting to Karin's goal and joining their fates together is enough to challenge precedent, not just changing the rules for the auditions, but changing her life, and change she does. She not only gets up by herself, but far earlier than previously. She fights to pay attention in class. She is not content to practice in a way that is good enough, but insists on trying again, practicing again, staying later. It's only been a couple of days, but the transformation is dramatic enough to draw the other girls' notice, as we can see in the scene where Karin's usual center showering position is empty. The Class B girls, who don't have the same closeness to the situation, find Karin's practice with Hikari impressive enough to suggest that those two might be the top roles for the next Starlight. I think it's important to point out that having a desire worth joining the auditions for was not enough by itself. Hikari resists her at first, and I'm sure we'll eventually find out more about Hikari and her early motives. It's not until they're on the same page, uh, that is, it's not until Karin's desire is actually feasible, that Karin's day-to-day -day life is transformed. One gets the impression that Karin is talented and has a lot of potential, but she's content to coast and rely on her natural gifts for the success she's had thus far. Once she and Hikari reaffirm their shared promise, Karin is actually driven enough to work for it. The girls paying attention to this realize that they have been put on notice. Of course, Mahiru is the one who notices this change the most. It shakes up her world for two different reasons. One is that she correctly guesses Hikari is the catalyst for Karin's sudden self-improvement. Never mind normal feelings of jealousy. This means Karin standing on the stage with Mahiru was not something Karin cares about enough to change her ways. So, ouch. The second is that Mahiru had constructed a purpose out of seeing after Karin, and the fifth episode shows us why that is especially significant. Mahiru was someone with no drive of her own. Singing, and the baton, and even going to SciShow were all external goals given to her by her grandmother. It's clever to have us hear the letter that she sent, too, because it tells us that the grandmother is not domineering or controlling of Mahiru. Rather, it helps us understand that Maihuru herself is passive about her own purpose. It wasn't until Karin that she picked a desire of her own, and that is why it is so precious to her. She wasn't in the review initially because her desire was being fulfilled. Karin needed her, depended on her, spent time with her. Having the purpose that she chose seemingly stripped away is enough to make her willing to fight, and so she joins in the review. What we discover by the end of the fifth episode, though, is that Maihuru was always driven by a desire to support others, to be a kind star that can make the people important to her smile. It was just the circumstances of joining Seisho that stripped her confidence from her. Back in Hokkaido, she probably was exceptional, and shone brightly by contrast to the people around her. Join a school full of other stars, though, and she's no longer the big fish in the small pond. Claudine actually expresses a similar sentiment in episode 3, about going from being a child prodigy to just a regular person, of believing that she was different. I'm sure we'll have a point to talk about uh, Claudine a little bit more later on. Uh, the point is that this is not unique to Mahiru. Having others around you just as capable or more will inspire some people to push themselves harder, but it will cause others to retract, both from the competition and from their own sense of self. Maihuru really does want to make others smile. The shared gift of potatoes from home was something she had done the year before as well. Yet, she had forgotten this part of herself and believed she had nothing but Karin. Luckily, Karin herself counters this belief of Maihuru's, this lack of self-confidence. 
Even Mahiru's review stage reflects her self-doubt. While the others have been grand and complex and dramatic, hers seems almost rudimentary or homespun, unsophisticated enough by contrast to almost be caricature. Once Kara encounters her self-doubt with words and wins their duel, Mahiru rejoins the others and is surprised to find everyone together and smiling, even Maya, which seems especially impressive. It would seem that just as Karin is in a better place now that she and Hikari are on the same page, Mahiru might be in a better place going forward now that she realizes she can grasp the kind of star she wants to be after all. This leaves our third outsider, who was the other responsible party for all those smiling faces at the end. Banana has repeatedly been shown making food for those around her. Not just single dishes for a certain person, as Mahiru might have for Karin or Karin for Hikari, but she always makes large batches meant for the group at large. Group cohesion seems important to her, and food is one of her favorite tools. She twice tries to integrate Hikari into their group by inviting her to share some of her food. She intentionally makes too much lunch to be able to share it with the others. And of course, at the end there, she made all of those various potato dishes. She also seems to have a particular affection for their first year's performance of Starlight. She is the only one we've seen that has a large poster of it in her room, and she waxes quite poetic when the topic comes up in the first episode. She has a nostalgia for it and the way it brought all of them together, a single unforgettable moment that will last forever. Yet Juna is right there to insist that it was amateurish and that they need to make sure they improve on it for the next performance. This will be echoed by the Class B girls in the fifth episode when discussing who should play the leads. They are impressed by Karan and Hikari, but Banana is still defaulting to Maya and Claudine, as she says, just like last time. Yet the Class B girls insist that there is no need for the same cast, and that they need to always want to try to push forward. Maybe it's only nostalgia? Maybe it really comes from a place of wanting group cohesion above all, but it does seem that Banana wants there to be the least turmoil possible for their next Starlight production. In fact, this is probably why she is working with Class B and stepping aside from the casting competition. This accomplishes two things. One is that it lets her continue to look after all of them by being in a supporting role. This is just like her instinct to try to feed everyone. The other is that it solves the problem of Hikari. There are eight named roles in Starlight, but Hikari's transfer gives us nine people that are gifted enough to compete for these roles. By stepping aside herself, Banana ensures that no one else will be the one cut to make room for Hikari to take up a named role. In the fifth episode, we also see all eight other girls are fighting in the auditions at once, with Banana the lone absentee. While there's no guarantee that there aren't duels happening offstage that we don't see, I think we can infer that Banana has not joined the auditions just yet. That is just the kind of potential group friction that she wants to avoid. Just like Karen and Mahiru, the situation starting out was not unsatisfactory enough for her to want to join in. That has changed for the two of them, and while it has not gotten to that point for Banana, I suspect that this will not last. Once there is more turmoil caused by Karen and Hikari's ascent, as well as the infighting the auditions may engender, Banana may find that the group dynamic she wants is not happening on its own, and she will have to fight for what she wants as well. I suspect that Banana will turn out to be formidable indeed. She is noticeably taller than most of them, which is a quality nearly universal for the top stars in the Takarazuko Review as it aids in their portrayal of men. There is also the matter of the scoreboard. Maya and Claudine are at the top to begin with, sure, but the very next person down is Banana, even though I don't think she has joined in yet. 
I think she probably has vast potential, but does not push herself to rise above the rest because she doesn't want to be the cause of anyone's consternation. The status quo is so much more comfortable, and as long as it can be maintained, she will stay the course. But I gotta say, even though Maya is set up as the end boss so far, I won't be surprised if Banana proves the greater obstacle once she joins the fray. What I think is so interesting is that even though these three seem motivated for the sake of others, it does not make them allies. It actually brings them into conflict. Karin's goal to join her fate to Hikari clashes with Mahiru's jealous codependence on her. Karin and Hikari's success as partners threatens to overturn the established order in their class, interfering with Banana's nostalgia and her desire to preserve the group dynamic. And of course, Mahiru can't be part of the fated couple with Karin if Hikari is there instead, nor if Banana gets her wish and it's Maya and Claudine once more. The other six girls are all presumably competing for the top spot, and so there is some expectation that they are rivals and competitors. We aren't surprised that they may clash at times. That people driven for other reasons also clash, though, helps us understand that the underground review is not simply about hyper-stylized duels and who is the best fighter. Rather, it is a contest of ideals, a contest of motivations and philosophies. Karen and Banana might appear to have a similar goal. Karen wants them all to stand on stage together, and Banana is stepping aside and playing support so that no one else gets left out. Both appear to be championing the cause of them all. Yet, they are instead fundamentally opposed, perhaps more so than any other two characters. Banana values the status quo, the nostalgia and established order of their previous starlight. She supports the system as it exists and resists suggestions of change. Karin, though, wants to upset the order entirely. She wants to defy the central idea of a single top star. You can be sure that what she wants has far wider implications than her and Hikari being co-top stars. She is talking about tearing down the entire structure. She may not even realize herself the far-reaching ramifications of getting what she wants, and I believe this is part of why Banana will probably turn out to be in opposition to her. We in the audience don't know what the fallout might be either. The consequences for failing the auditions are still mysterious, but they have an ominous air. Maybe Karin's interference will invite disaster, but maybe that very interference will prevent disaster instead. This is a blind spot in our understanding of the underground auditions, and so there is only so much we can theorize on at this point. What I will say is that we are being given a story of people competing for a variety of reasons, with no obvious metric why one person's desires should succeed over anyone else's. Whether complete self-interest or complete lack of self-interest, their goals are given no privilege against one another. Each must take up and fight for their own cause. I think this is why we are given Karin as our main perspective character. Her desire, or philosophy, is that chasing their dreams is not a zero-sum game. She wants them to stand on the stage together. She wants them all to grab a star of their own. Even if we find individual girls' motivations more or less compelling, by rooting for Karin, we are effectively rooting for all of them. As we saw during the alibi scene in the fourth episode, and the potato-eating scene in the fifth episode, the girls really can come together and be cooperative. That may even be their natural state. Yet the very instinct which drives them toward excellence divides them. There aren't good guys and bad guys here, but chasing what each wants nevertheless brings them into conflict. This is not unique to a musical theater school. This is an experience each of us sees in our lives and the world around us. 
So it's easy to ask us to cheer for Karin and the star she wants to grasp, this dream of everyone getting something that they want. We will have to wait and see if such a dream has any hope of coming true. Title music by Russell J. Crowe, other music licensed from the artists at Audio Jungle. Script, performance, and editing by Theta. Theta is played by Redacted. Original video can be found at youtube.com slash C slash Nearly on Red. And a full list of credits is available at nearlyonred.com. Until next time, thanks for everything.